Good morning, church. Are you ready to get into the word this morning? Even though you've been warned, it's going to be a little bit inconvenient, a little bit uncomfortable. Are you okay with that? If your, heat, your seat starts to get a bit hot, don't leave. <laughs> Listen if the Lord is speaking to you this morning. Amen. So in this series, we are diving into the book of Habakkuk and looking at his questions to God. We are also looking at God's answers and then ultimately how Habakkuk responds to these. It's a very short book. So if you haven't already, I suggest you go read it. Don't wait for us to break it down every week. It's three chapters. Easy peasy. You can do that in one sitting. But it contains so much truth for us today. Just because it's in the Old Testament does not mean it's irrelevant. Amen. Mm. The whole Bible is relevant to us today. So last week, we got an overview of who Habakkuk was and what the situation in Judah was at the time. And then we took a look at his first question. So if you missed this, or maybe you just want to recap because it was a lot of information, then I suggest you go to our sermon page on our website and you listen to it there. You can watch it there and just recap, revise what we did, what we spoke about last week. And so what we saw was that the situation at that time was troubled, that justice was perverted, that wickedness and violence prevailed. Doesn't sound very different to today, does it? When we read what was happening, it sounds very much like what is happening in the world today. So we saw that Habakkuk was burdened, that he was wrestling with emotions and questions, but instead of keeping quiet, Instead of shoving those questions down, he spoke up. He asked God the difficult questions. He lamented, he complained, he cried out to the Lord. And the kind of questions that he was asking are maybe the kind of questions that we as believers think we dare not ask. That we think that if we have such questions, it is a sin or it is a sign of a lack of faith because how dare we question God like that. But as we're going to see today, God did not smite Habakkuk for questioning him. Instead, he listened, he patiently listened, and he lovingly answered him. The lovingly part might be questionable when you hear how we answered, but it was a loving answer. So in Habakkuk chapter 1, verses 1 to 4, we read the questions that he asked God, and it can be summed up as follows. Do you care? Are you fair? Why do I have to go through this? And you could do something about all this. Why don't you? Now, if we are honest with ourselves, we wrestle with similar questions like this sometimes, don't we? There have been times in our lives when I'm sure that one of these questions or some version of these questions has run through your mind. So Habakkuk was living in a time in which his nation, God's people, had turned their back on God and his laws. They had fallen away from righteousness. They had become wicked. And seeing all of this, Habakkuk then cried out to God, asking, why aren't you doing anything about this? And it seemed like God was silent and inactive. So in his frustration and feeling burdened, he called out for an answer. 
And then God answered him. And that's what we're going to talk about in today's message. We're going to look at God's answer to Habakkuk's first complaint. That's right. This was his first complaint. After getting an answer for his first complaint, he complained again. What does this tell us? (laughs) That God is not afraid of our questions. He can handle them. It's okay to wrestle with doubt and questions. God can handle it. So this morning, we're going to take a look at the unexpected answer which God gave to Habakkuk. And we find this in the first chapter from verses 5 to 11. So let's take a look at what God says. He says, look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed, for I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if you were told. Now that's a little bit ironic, isn't it? God is saying you wouldn't believe this even if you were told, but I'm going to tell you anyway. Now it sounds promising, doesn't doesn't it? Sounds like something good is about to happen, right? That God is about to give Habakkuk the answer that he's been waiting for. But before we read any further, I want to address an issue that arises when this passage is quoted. I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if you were told. See, this verse tends to be taken out of context. It is often used to imply that God is about to do something so wonderful, so miraculous, so amazing, so unprecedented that you would not believe it even if you had been told. Quoting it in that sense can seem like it's bouncing off of what we read in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, which says, to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. Now, this sounds right. It is what God is capable of doing, that he can do something that you would not believe. But this verse, that is not the context of it, because when we read it in the context of where it was written, we see that it is not actually a good thing. It's not quite as encouraging as it sounds. The message version paraphrases it this way. Brace yourself for a shock. Something's about to take place and you're going to find it hard to believe. You're going to find it hard to believe, not because of how wonderful it is, but because it's not what you'd expect God to do. But even though it's unexpected, what God is also saying by answering Habakkuk here is that he is listening. He is aware of the wickedness. He sees it, and he is busy doing something about it. There is a plan in motion, even though it's one that might not make sense at first, even if it's not what was expected. And so whether Habakkuk can see it or not, whether he understands it or not, God is indeed at work. And I think if we think about our own lives, sometimes we feel like God is absent. When we go through difficult seasons, when we're facing challenging times, we may wonder, where is God in all of this? Is he doing anything or has he fallen asleep? But let's be reminded by what Isaiah says in chapter 40, verse 28. Have you never heard? Have you never understood? The Lord is the everlasting God the creator of all the earth. He never grows weak or weary. No one can measure the depths of his understanding. See, God doesn't get tired. He doesn't need to slip away to go take a nap while the world gets more chaotic and burns. 
He is the everlasting God. He is always present. And none of us can measure the depths of his understanding. His ways and his thoughts are beyond our comprehension. So we need to remember, we need to know that God is always at work even when we cannot see it. Even when we don't understand it, God is working and he knows what he is doing. Amen? And so Habakkuk had to hold on to that truth because God was telling him that what he was about to do was something that Habakkuk was not going to understand right now. So God is saying, I'm going to do something that you will not believe. Let's see what it is. Verse 6 to 7. I am raising up the Babylonians. Now, depending what version you read, it will either say Babylonians or Chaldeans. It's the same people, okay? I am raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people. This is a nation that was reckless, relentless, powerful, who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are a feared and dreaded people. They are a law to themselves and promote their own honor. God isn't telling Habakkuk that he's going to do something amazingly good. Instead, he was going to do something unexpected and painful. Now, that's what you want to hear from God, right? When you've cried out, you've lamented, you're complaining, you're going through stuff, and God answers, it's about to get worse. God is going to raise up this ungodly nation, a nation more wicked and violent, and he was going to use them for his purposes. Why would God do this? Well, to understand this, we need to take a step back. We need to look at the bigger picture. You see, when we are reading scripture, it is so important that we take time to understand the context of how it fits into the bigger story, how it fits into the story of salvation. We need to understand what was happening when it was written, what had happened before, and how it fits into the bigger plan. So we're going to rewind a little bit. Is that okay? We're going to go back to the beginning. So if we go back to Genesis 1, God creates the whole world. And then he creates man to commune with him. And it was good. Then we get to chapter 3. And sin enters the world. And it enters the world through one person's decision. One person's decision. Sin enters And that one decision has now impacted all of humanity. And now things are not so good. Fast forward to Genesis 12. And God calls Abraham. He calls him out of his land, of his people. He tells him to go to another land. And God tells Abraham that he was going to bless him. And that through him, all the nations of the world would be blessed. So God calls and sets apart Abraham. And from Abraham, a nation would arise, and from that nation, the Savior would come. And because of that Savior, all the nations of the world would be blessed. But in chapter 15, God also tells him that before that blessing would happen, his people, the nation that would come from Abraham, would go through enslavement. And we see that happen when the Israelites become captives in Egypt after Joseph's time. That is until God raises up Moses and uses him to set his people free and bring them out of Egypt. We read that whole story in Exodus chapters 1 to 14. And then we get to Exodus 19, 
where the Israelites make it to Mount Sinai. And God meets with Moses and makes a new covenant with him, with his people. This is a sacred agreement. And in this new covenant, God lays down some conditions. He makes some promises, some amazing blessings would be given to his people if they would live in his will. We read these blessings for obedience in Deuteronomy chapter 28. But he also lays out the consequences for not obeying. From verse 15 onwards in chapter 28, we read what is titled, The Curses for Disobedience. Ominous. But what we see through all of this is that it is clear that there were consequences for breaking the covenant. There would be consequences if they disobeyed. God warned them, and he made it very clear that his people, that he was holding them to a higher standard. Now this may sound harsh, but we know that consequences are a fact of life, right? You can't just do anything and not face consequences. Whether we like it or not, there are consequences. If I were to touch a hot stove plate, what would happen? I'd burn. It doesn't matter what I believe. That hot stove plate is going to burn me. And I cannot get offended at that truth. So if I don't want to hurt myself, if I do not want to get burned, guess what? Don't touch the hot stove plate. If I touch the hot stove plate, there's consequences, painful consequences. And so that's how it is with life. What we do has consequences. And God was warning against behavior that would lead to punishment, to pain and to suffering. He wasn't being unfair. He was being loving. Parents understand this concept. The kids might think you're being unfair, unreasonable, and difficult by saying no to certain things, but you as a parent know you're doing it out of love because it is what is best for them, right? And it's the same with God. What he required of them was for their best. So God makes this new covenant and he gives them these laws. If they obeyed the laws, they would be blessed. If they disobeyed, there was going to be trouble. And so that brings us to what is happening in Habakkuk's time. God's people were about to endure the consequences of their disobedience. But we need to also know that eventually, after, time in, after some time in exile, God would bring them back and restore them because God does not stop at the punishment. God redeems and restores after he has disciplined. So Habakkuk is living in a time where the discipline of God was about to take place upon his people so that they might turn back to him, to his ways. But this was a wrestling point for Habakkuk. We need to understand that what was about to happen was unique to Israel and to Judah. It wasn't something that was happening globally. It was happening to God's elect people. They needed to endure this so that they could return to their purpose, to live in God's ways so that they could fulfill the purpose for which God had set them apart, that through them, all the nations of the world would be blessed because of our Savior Jesus. Amen. So God was calling them back, but he was doing it in an unexpected way by raising up the Babylonians against them. Then we continue in verses 8 to 11, where in a somewhat poetic way, God is describing 
this enemy that's coming to, to destroy them, to inflict violence upon them. He says, their horses are swifter than leopards, fiercer than wolves at dusk. Their cavalry gallops headlong. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle swooping to devour. And I want to stop on this line because it's an interesting echo of what is said in Deuteronomy 28 verse 49 when talking about the consequences. It says, the Lord will bring a nation against you from far away from the ends of the earth like an eagle swooping down. So they fly like an eagle swooping to devour. They will come intent on violence. Their hordes advance like a desert wind and gather prisoners like sand. In other words, too many to count. They mock kings and scoff at rulers. They laugh at all fortified cities by building earthen ramps that they capture them. Then they sweep past like the wind and go on. Guilty people whose own strength is their God. So God is telling Habakkuk that he's going to raise up this ungodly nation these violent, ruthless, and self-serving people. And he was going to use them to deal with the violence and wickedness that was taking place within Judah. God was announcing his judgment and punishment upon his people for their disobedience and the evil that they were taking part in. Now, I want us to take note that this wasn't new information that other prophets had been warning Israel of the judgment and punishment that they would face if they did not change their ways. In fact, around the same time as Habakkuk, the prophet Jeremiah was prophesying the same thing, that Israel and Judah were going to face destruction and captivity at the hand of a foreign and violent nation because of their rebellion. So what God was doing here wasn't sudden and out of the blue. He had been warning them for a long time. He gave them the opportunity to repent, to change their ways, but they didn't listen and they didn't change. So now they were going to face the consequences of their disobedience. But we don't like consequences, do we? We want God to spare us from pain, from suffering, from the consequences of our actions and our choices. But we need to accept that consequences are going to take place. And sometimes, and I want to emphasize sometimes because this is not a, a general rule that it's all the time, but sometimes our suffering is a consequence of our own choices and actions. Sometimes we bring it upon ourselves. We don't want to accept that, do we? Especially as believers, we, we hope that God will spare us from pain, from suffering, even though we were the ones who messed up but we will endure those consequences, but God can work in us through it, amen? We might have to endure the consequences, but he can still do something through it. So sometimes it's our own fault. The Israelites, Judah, they brought this upon themselves as a nation, but other times it is a result of the circumstances around us, like Habakkuk. He was a righteous man, a man who, was, who had remained faithful to God, but now he was about to be swept up in the season of suffering caused by the nation around him. This is a reminder to us that in this fallen world, many faithful people will experience pain and suffering because of the decisions and the actions of those around them. This is a symptom of sin in the world. So what do you do when you call out to God 
but he doesn't answer you the way that you want him to. Do you think this is how Habakkuk wanted God to answer him? When he cried out to God that this is what he was expecting? If you were in Habakkuk's sandals, how would you be feeling right now? Having received this answer, would you feel like drawing closer to God? Or would you feel like turning your back on the faith? How would you feel towards God? And you right now, after hearing this passage, do you think that there is any possible good thing to take away from such a response? It makes sense now why Habakkuk questioned God a second time, right? But as we'll see next week, even the way he questioned God might not be the way that we would have responded initially. So coming back to these verses, hearing God's answer to Habakkuk, knowing that he was about to judge Let's try again. <laughs> Knowing that God was about to judge the wickedness of his people and that he was going to use the most ruthless and ungodly nation to execute his judgment, we now have to ask, is there something that we can take away from this? Can we actually learn something from this quite depressing passage? You come to church this morning, have a wonderful time in worship, and then we read some not so nice scripture. Is there something that we can learn from this? Is there something that we can take away? I mean, God's words to Habakkuk are surprising and seemingly out of character, right? It's not what we would expect from God. But in reality, it's not actually that unexpected. In fact, this passage shows us some important things about God and his character. So, as sucky as that answer was to Habakkuk, there is something for us to take away from it. There are lessons to be learnt. And so this morning I want to talk about three important things that we can learn about God from this answer. The first one, and this one is a little bit of a, a, a difficult thing for us to accept because it doesn't always feel this way. But the first takeaway is that God is in control. See, the Babylonians rising up against the Israelites at that time was not a coincidence, nor was it a sign that God had lost control of the situation. He was, in fact, very much in control. See, behind every situation in this life, whether good or bad, we can know that God is at work. He is pulling it all together in order to bring about his good purposes. We see this when we read the Bible. From the beginning to the end, when things looked like it was falling apart, God was working. When things were going well, God was working. We see how God was pulling everything towards a certain end. And that still continues today because the story is not finished. So everything that happens, God is working behind the scenes and he is taking us somewhere. Amen? So he is in control. So whatever difficult, trying, chaotic, messed up situations we might find ourselves in, whether it's personal, as a nation, globally, we can trust that God is in control in the midst of it. But let's also understand something. This does not mean 
that every evil thing we see, every bad thing that happens, all the wars and the wickedness that is taking place in the world, that it is God's doing. In Habakkuk's situation, it was different. What was happening there, he allowed it to happen, he caused it to happen. But it doesn't mean that every bad thing that happens in our world is God's doing. But it does mean that he can take every bad situation and work in it. He can do something in it. So even when we don't understand it, we can have confidence that God is in control and that he can use, he can and he will use the painful situations in our lives to bring about a good outcome, even if we don't understand how in the moment. Whatever situation you find yourself in today, you can be at peace knowing that God is working behind the scenes. He is in control. The world seems to be going crazy right now, There are wars, there's lawlessness, there's uncertainty. But even in all of this chaos, we can be anchored by the hope we have in him and by the knowledge that God is in control. The second takeaway is that God will judge wickedness. Habakkuk asked God to do something about the wickedness and trouble that was going on in his nation. And although it wasn't what he was expecting, God answered him and told him that he was going to sort out that trouble and wickedness with a different kind of trouble and wickedness. We need to realize that God will not idly stand by as his will and his ways are rejected and disobeyed. Sin, everything that goes against God, will be judged and it will be punished. As I already mentioned, there are consequences to living apart from God. When we look around and we see sin going unpunished, when we see people who are living ungodly lives, yet they seem to be thriving. Meanwhile, you're over here trying to do your best, trying to live in God's will, but you're struggling, or it seems like everything seems to be going wrong. It can be tempting to wonder, why do those people get away with what they're doing? Why can they live however they want, sin whenever they want and they are doing well. Why are they getting away with it? But here I am trying to do what's right, trying to live in God's ways, but I'm struggling. I want you to understand something. The truth is, it only seems like they're getting away with it because it's only for a short time that they are enjoying their sinful ways because a day will come where they will stand before God and they will have to face judgment. The Babylonians seemed like they were getting away with it. They attacked nations. They were ruthless, they were violent. They killed and they just did whatever they wanted and they were successful as a nation. They thrived, but that was short-lived. Eventually they too faced God's judgment and they were destroyed. So when you see people living in sin and they seem to be getting away with it, don't allow that to blind you to the fact that one day they will face judgment. God is good and he is just. And so he must act justly in order to remain good. So to be just, God has to judge and punish sin and wickedness. This was true in Habakkuk's time and it's still true for us today. If we reject God and his ways, if we live apart from him, outside of his will, 
then we will also face his judgment and punishment. But this is the part of, of the gospel that we don't like to talk about. We don't wanna talk about the consequences of sin and the punishment that comes with it, but church, if we ignore this fact, then we are setting ourselves up for a rude awakening. If we don't talk about the justness of God, then we are ignoring a very important part of his character. We need to be aware that our actions have consequences. That if we stray from God's will, if we do not align our lives with his will, again, going back to those unconverted places we spoke about in our resilience series, if we don't align every part of our lives with his will, with his heart, then we will face judgment and punishment for the sin and wickedness in our lives. God will judge wickedness because God is good and he is just. And then finally, the third takeaway is that God's answers might be unexpected. God's ways are not our ways. And because of this, his answers to us might not be what we expected. His answers to us might not be how we would have liked him to answer us. And if we struggle to accept this truth, if we struggle to accept that God might not answer our prayers and requests the way we want him to, then the issue we might have is not in how God answers us, but in how we expected him to answer. Because the truth is God's desire is not necessarily that we get what we want. But his desire is that we would be people that love him, that trust him, and know that his ways are best. And when we cry out to him, we need to be sure that we are ready to accept whatever answer he gives us. That we will accept God's answer, whether it is what we expected or whether we like it or not whether we understand it or not, we need to accept God's answers. So God is in control. He will judge wickedness and his answers to us might not be what we expect. So whenever you cry out to God, however he answers you, the truth is that ultimately his answer is this. I am in control. I will use whatever you are going through, to turn you towards me, to deal with your sin, and to help you trust me. For Habakkuk, this meant trusting that God was in control and that that painful time that, nation, that his nation was about to endure was to bring them back to God so that they could fulfill their purpose of one day bringing forth the promised Savior. That is what Habakkuk would have had to hold on to in those troubling times. That's what carried him through, his faith in God and, the, and his faith in the future Savior. For us, that means trusting in the Savior that has already come and will return again. With our faith in Jesus, we have hope to keep us anchored and we find hope in the knowledge that God is in control even when everything around us seems out of control. The unexpected answer that, he gave, uh, that God gave Habakkuk 
just shows us that God is in the business of the unexpected. When we look at what happened on the cross, we see a moment where everything seemed to be going wrong, where wickedness seemed to be winning, a time where God seemed to be silent. Yet in that moment, God was at work. His plan for salvation for all those who trust in him was playing out. The way the promised Messiah came was unexpected. The way in which he overcame sin and death was unexpected. The way he saved and redeemed us was unexpected. Yet even in the unexpected, God is at work. He hears us. He answers us. He is in control. And he is working it all out for a greater purpose. So whatever you are crying out to God for, be ready for an unexpected answer. It may not be what you want, but it will be what you need. Amen? So this morning, maybe there's a few things in your life that you, you're asking God for an answer. You're asking God to bring breakthrough. You're asking God for guidance. You're asking him for help. Whatever it is, bring it to him this morning. But with a heart open to receive however he answers. Don't go in holding tightly to how you expect him to answer you. That is our mistake. Because we go in and we say, God, these are these prayer requests I'm bringing to you and I want you to answer them this way. And when he doesn't answer us in the way we want, then we start to kind of back away. We take offense. But remember, what we want is not always what we need. What we want is not always what is best for us. But God, our heavenly loving Father, knows what you need. He knows what is best for you. So trust him. Trust him in the unexpected. Amen? Amen. So let's close in prayer this morning. Let's bring our requests to him. And let's open up our hearts to the unexpected. So Father, we thank you that even in your unexpected answers to us, Lord, that your character, your loving character, your, your just character, your goodness, Lord, shines through. I pray, Lord, that whatever we are bringing before you this morning, every burden, every question, every doubt, whatever it is that we are wrestling with, Lord, that we will bring it to you, we will release it before you, Lord, and our hearts will be open to however you answer us. That we will see your goodness in your answer. That we will understand that you are in control. That we will understand that even when it might not make sense to us right now, one day we will see how all of this was taking us somewhere better. That you are working behind the scenes. When we see it, when we don't see it, when we understand it or when we don't understand it, Lord, that we will be rooted in that truth, that you are in control, that sin and wickedness will not go unpunished. So Father, I pray that if there's any area in our lives that we need to realign with you, Lord, that you will help us to do so, that we will heed your warning, that we will do something about it, that we will not ignore it so that we will not endure the consequences of our disobedience. May we be people whose hearts are after you, whose choices try to honor you, Lord. So Father, we thank you that even in the unexpected, you remain the same. You are our good and our loving Father. You are the God who 
was, who is, and will be forever. That you do not grow weary and tired. That you are always present in every situation, good and bad, you are right there with us. You never leave us, Lord. So Father, I pray that our faith will grow, that our faith will remain secure in the knowledge of who you are, and that any doubts that we have, Lord, that as we wrestle with them and debate with you, Lord, that it will actually draw us closer to you and that those doubts will fuel our faith, that we'll be people who are so close to you, Lord, that even in the unexpected, we will not doubt you or doubt your ways. So Father, I pray now that your love and your protection and your blessings will be upon us as we go into this week. I pray, Father, that in all we do, everything that we have to do, Lord, every decision we make, that we will honor you, that we will worship you, and that we will show your love to the people that we encounter. Be with us every step of the way, Lord, guiding our, our decisions and our ways. We give you all honor and praise this morning, Lord. Amen. Amen. May you be blessed. Have a wonderful week and we'll see you next Sunday.